Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are in part three of a series. Everybody say baggage. You got some, don't you? Yeah, let's just be us as own it. We got, we all got baggage. And anybody that doesn't think they have baggage, you just have small baggage that you've stuck somewhere that nobody can see for the moment. But we all have baggage. We all collect things, don't we? We we pick up these experiences, these uh, these memories. We have these encounters, and they they seem to kind of fracture our soul a little bit. And all of a sudden, we 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 just find ourselves carrying a little bit more baggage. We picked up some when we were little. Picked up some. We picked up a lot when you were in junior high, didn't you? A lot comes out of junior high. Why is junior high so awful to us? And so we, we go through high school, and that, that wasn't the best. And we go through that, that first real serious relationship, and we got some baggage from that one. And then, then, then our parents, you got, you got a lot from your parents, right? Are you sitting with your parents? Is that? Like, well, I can't say it right now, Todd. Um, we know. We know. We, you got... You got baggage. And so, uh, you know, in, in week one, we looked at the baggage of anger and we recognize a lot of us did get some anger, some, some DNA anger. You know what I mean? We were, we were you know, it's just we're just mad because we're this ethnic group or our dad was always angry or or, you know, or we just, you know, we just got some anger issues. And we, we learn, you know, that what God really asked in the Bible, you go back to Genesis chapter four, he goes, why are you so angry? That really at the root of all of your anger, you need to actually ask yourself the deep penetrating, why am I so angry? And what we discovered is that somewhere along the line, someone wronged us. Someone took something from us. Somewhere along the lines, we didn't get what we wanted or what we thought we deserved. And bless God, we're angry and have every right to be. But that doesn't mean it's going to help you, though, right? Like that doesn't mean it's going to actually make you a whole person in life. And all of a sudden your anger starts. You should go pick up part one. Part two, we talked about the anger or not the anger, but the baggage of envy. That's the hidden one, isn't it? That's the one that most of us don't think we have an issue with envy until we actually start poking and prodding around at your baggage to find out that we really do. What Solomon said is that for 3000 years of human history, nothing's changed. He goes, everybody tends to look over their shoulder at what everybody else has. And we want what they have. And even if we don't get what they have, we would actually be a little bit happier if they lost what they had to even the playing field just a little bit. And we are we're envious and there's 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 that thing in us and I'm telling you all this baggage does is keep you from living free traveling light and becoming everything that God ever wanted you to become and doing everything that God ever wanted you to do today we will look at the baggage of fear I tell you what, let's do this. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and pray as we begin today. Father, we pray God that as we open up your words God you would open up us. The Holy Spirit you would kind of Walk down the, the hallways of our heart and our soul and our mind, that you would dig up the issues, that you would dig up the fears, that, Lord God, you would help us to face those fears, confront those fears, and to ultimately give them to you, God. I pray that you would help us to do this today, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We all said? Amen. Now, how many of you, how many of you grew up, I was talking to a young lady this week, and, and she said, Pastor, what, what are you preaching on? What's the baggage this week? I said, I'm talking about the baggage of fear. She goes, oh, I can't wait to hear that. She goes, because I grew up always being afraid. I grew up in a home where my parents always tried to like put fear on me. Anybody want to just say, I, I, I've always had that in the back of my mind. Grew up just a little bit afraid. Always had parents that tried to put fear on you. We do. Now, here's what we need to know from the beginning is that all of your fears, you learned them somewhere. Like you picked up on them somewhere because, you know, they've studied babies and they realize that babies only have two fears. You know what they are? Falling? Did you say eating? They're afraid of eating. I, I never had that issue. So, 
Falling and loud noises. That's all that babies get afraid of is falling and loud noise. What do they do? Start dropping kids to see what they would do. So, so falling. So every other, other than falling, which that I, that's a legitimate fear. Okay, not, nobody wants to fall from a, a, a large height, you know. And, and nobody likes being screamed at. Nobody likes the loud noises. Other than that, all your fears are what then? Learn, picked up on. Some of them are survival instinct based, aren't they? Like like your fear of snakes. That's legitimate. You know, there's something in you that should say, don't touch that. And all these weird people on the weird TV shows that like touching snakes, there's something wrong with them. Instinctually, something, something's not right there if you, if you like touching poisonous, venomous things. As a matter of fact, let, let's take a look real quick and you tell me what you're afraid of. This is, a, this is a top ten list of what Americans fear the most. Are you ready? Number one is this. Speaking before a group. Is anybody afraid of public speaking? You're afraid of that? Come see me. I'll help you. Um, I, I, I never had that issue. I don't know. I started preaching when I was 17 years old, and I was, I was terrible at it, but I wasn't, af- I wasn't afraid of it. Um, so I can, I can help you with that one. Heights. Anybody afraid of heights? Yeah. I don't mind being up in the air. I just don't like being on the ledge up in the air. You know, there's a difference. Like, here, I'm, I'm okay. But here? No. It's, it's not worth it over there. Um, insects, bugs? How many of y'all have, like, that spider thing? You go crazy over the spiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Financial problems. You fear the economy. Some of, you, some of you got a bunker somewhere, don't you? With generators and water and you're laughing over there. Um, you're, you're Armageddon. Zombie apocalypse. Something. Deep water. Anybody afraid of deep water? I, that's legit. That's legit. That's why we appreciate going down to like a, a place like Key West where the water's clear. Right. Because as long as I can see, I feel OK. We used to be uh, in Michigan, used to be out onto these kind of ponds and bayous and stuff. And we'd be out there water skiing. And it always made me deathly afraid because we'd switch um, jet skis sometimes. And you had this split second moment where you had to jump off your jet ski then to jump on. The, it was the most terrifying feeling in the world because when you because you don't know what's in there. You you stop laughing at me. Sickness, that's legit. Nobody wants sickness. But notice we, we're more afraid of sickness than we are of death. Like, I'd rather get sick. I mean, I'd rather die than get sick. I, I just, just kill me. Don't even just take me out. There's, there's an old, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld that said, why do we fear speaking in front of a large group more than death? It's like being at a funeral, we'd rather be in the casket than the one giving the eulogy. Like, we're so afraid. Afraid of flying? Anybody afraid of flying? Loneliness? That's, that's legit. Dogs? Dogs? I don't know what the dog thing is. That's man's best friend. Cats. Yeah. What do they do while you're sleeping? You don't know. You know what a dog's doing. Washing your back. Cat? Anyway. So, so... So, so here's what we know is that, is that we're not born with fears. This is why the Bible says in the book of Timothy, it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So, so all these things, some of them are instinctual. You know what I mean? Like instincts would tell you being at large heights could produce death. Therefore, be cautious when you're way up in the air. And some people miss that, that, that gene. You know what I mean? At the gene pool 
you know, handout party. And so, but, but my point is, is that some of them are instinctual, but when you start looking at things like loneliness, when we start looking at things like death, or we start looking at things like financial problem, what they begin to reveal is, is what's really in our heart. Some of us don't have fears like this. We have fears that we would never mention. We have fears that we're unaware of. We have fears that drive us to do dumb things, to make poor decisions, to, to not be ourselves. Let me, let me give you an example. Like, like some people fear being overweight. And they're usually not the people that are even overweight. They're so afraid of overweight that they, they end up with a disease. Where they end up with a sickness where they starve themselves or they throw up. Or this fear that grips them. Some, of them, uh, some people fear rejection. Just so afraid. I, I, I would hate the idea. Some of you have abandonment issues and, and it gets in you and you're so afraid of people leaving you or you're so afraid of people rejecting you that you end up compromising who you are. You compromise your decision making. You compromise your character just because you want to be liked and you want to be accepted. That's a deep rooted fear. Some of you have a fear of authority. I find this one interesting. You got you hate cops. You hate bosses. You hate the idea of submitting to your husband. You hate hate the idea of authority. Like, I'm afraid of someone having control over me. I won't let it happen again. Some of you, again, you fear singleness. You fear loneliness. You fear being alone and being single forever. And so, again, what happens is, is when these fears are in our soul, they drive us, don't they? We're just talking, right? You guys got quiet in here. Because when you fear being single and you fear being alone, then you end up settling for Mr. Right Now. Instead of just Mr. Right. Why? Because what, 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 if, what if this is my last chance? This is my last opportunity. I mean, he's, he's alive. You know, he, he has a job, you know, and it's like that's your standard now. So fear of intimacy. You've been burned. You've been, been cheated on, been hurt. You fear intimacy now. So now you just don't let people in at all. Fear of failure. Some of us, we, we hate, we, not only do we hate the idea of being a failure, we hate the idea of being seen as a failure. It cripples us, the thought of somebody looking at us like a failure. It, it's, it's dreadful, and so you know what that does? And all fear does this. All fear kind of restricts you, paralyzes you. All fears will eventually make you compromise or settle for something less than God's best in your life. It will keep you from something good, so you, you fear failure. So you never step out in faith. Live a, a cushy Nerf life, sitting on your biscuit, never having to risk it. You can come tell me later if you know where that's from. Fear of failure. We have these, some of us just fear the unknown. We fear the uncertainty. We fear what we cannot see and what will happen. And so it, it drives us. And I'm going to tell you right now, you know what? It, if we were to go underneath all the layers, somewhere down at the bottom, you know what? This is where we all fear. And I, I put this on the screen for you. What we all fear at some level is this, is that we're going to lose control. Think about everything I just mentioned. At some point, if you drive it down deep enough, somewhere at the bottom in my soul, I don't have control anymore. I'm not in control. Things aren't in control. I don't feel okay. I don't feel safe. I don't feel confident. I'm not in control. Which, by the way, control is an illusion, right? What are you really in control of anyway? Almost nothing. So here we see that the fear drives us. Fear also kind of reveals some things to us, doesn't it? Fear reveals what you care about the most. Some of you are so fearful about like something happening to your kids. 
and you work yourself up in a worry and you can't sleep at night when they're out because you just don't know you're fearful. Fear reveals what you care about the most. And, and here's the flip side of it is that fear also reveals where you trust God the least. Doesn't it? Doesn't that kind of just indicate to our heart like, wow, I am so worked up. I am so feeling not in control that I just don't trust God with this area. Because I'm telling you, when you trust God, I mean, to the core of your being, you sleep like a baby. You don't stress. You don't worry. You're not anxious all the time. And so so in Mark chapter four, Jesus, I believe, creates a scenario. And I'll tell you why. In, In Mark chapter four, the Bible says that it's nighttime. And then Jesus decides, hey, guys, let's get into the boat. We're going to go for a boat ride. Now, remember we talked about deep waters? It starts right there. Anyway, Mark chapter 4. I want you to read this story with me. This, this, this I believe, experience that Jesus somewhat creates. The Bible says that, it, that that day when evening came, that he looks and says to his disciples, hey, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him and a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is a dope story. This is such a cool story. Because here, again, I think Jesus kind of sets them up. He waits till it's nighttime. Now, just the fact that Jesus being the son of God, I think he, you know, they didn't have Doppler back then. But God knows all things. And see, what you need to know about this is that this was what was referred to as the Sea of Galilee. This is a real place. You can go visit it today. It's about 12 miles wide, 7 miles deep. This is a big, large body of water. And for you to cross it, the point that the scholars think that they were crossing from one place to another was roughly about a six-mile journey at least. So this is no small, like, ferry boat ride. This is not the paddle boat ride, which, by the way, on, on my wife and I's second day, I took her on a moonlit paddle boat ride. I took her out on Spring Lake in Michigan, and I didn't know that it was a spider-infested paddle boat. I thought it was going to be so romantic. Fear. Anyway, let's keep going. This is no paddle boat ride, but here's what you also need to know. These guys weren't afraid of this. Now, I would be uneasy. You know, this is 2,000 years ago. It's not like they had a yacht. They didn't have motor boats. They probably had some rickety fisher boat, right? I don't know what they had back then, but it couldn't have been as cool as what we have today. But these guys weren't afraid because they were mostly what? Fishermen. I mean, where do you think Jesus found a few of these guys? Fishing on the sea. So these guys were completely familiar, completely comfortable. This is where they had grown up. They had grown up on the water, grown up in boats. This was not a big deal to them. And so they get into the boat, probably no fears and no worries. But then the Bible says that a great squall came up upon them. Now, now, just so you know, if you know the, the area, this actually does happen on the Sea of Galilee quite regularly. This is not weird for big storms to come up. It was surrounded by a mountain range, too, so it came 
came up on you quick. As soon as those clouds came over the mountains, you knew it was time and you, you couldn't get out of the boat. You couldn't swim back to shore. You were stuck having to fight against the storm. But this was no just kind of storm, little storm, big storm. The Bible refers to this as a, a great squall. And so you can see kind of the thing that's going on here. This is a terrifying event. The Bible says that, that now again, you got to remember that the fishermen were afraid. Well, they had been there before. They'd been in storms before. So how many know it takes a lot to get that guy scared? It's over, this is, I'm going to give you my theory for those people who are afraid of flying. Because how many know turbulence can get up on your nerves and make you a little nervous? Right? It's ne- I'm going to give you my advice. This is what I do. I look at the people that work on the plane, the stewardess people. If they're afraid, be afraid. If they're not afraid, go back to sleep. Because they have experienced so much turbulence and turmoil, and they know when that thing's bouncing and rocking and all kinds of stuff. And if they're cool, you can be cool. If they're not cool, you need to start praying. So this is where I see the fishermen. Like, when the fishermen, the people that lived on boats, when they're afraid, you should just be afraid. That's probably, that's probably instinctual, good old, like, oh, dear God, we're, we're going down. And so what they do is they run over to Jesus. Now, now, I love this right here. They go over to Jesus, who is what? Asleep. How many of you are deep sleepers out there? You sleep through anything? I can sleep through anything. I, what are you shaking your head for? Because if you're snoring, I can just go right through. Is that what you're saying? So I, I, I literally, I grew up, I grew up in a house of chaos. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, I don't need to describe anything further. Lots of yelling and noises and cops showing up. And I, I grew up in a home that could have some craziness to it. Never knew a thing. I just slept through the night. Nothing ever bothered me. And so you deep sleepers, you kind of get this. Like, I just nothing, you gotta, you gotta shake people to get them to wake up, right? And so they literally... Jesus is asleep on a cushion. Now, the the way these boats did work is that the captain had a cushion. And so what they think Jesus did was literally went over and took the captain's cushion and then snuck up in the corner and started taking a nap. This is dark now. It's nighttime. And so they go over to Jesus and they begin to wake him. This is the phrase they give him. Everybody say this to me. Everybody say, don't you care? Don't Don't you care? Have you ever prayed like that before? You know, normally it's not even prayers. Normally it's like, I'm just crying out to God. I'm just frustrated and I'm talking out loud. But we're like, God, don't you care? You ever seen somebody and your heart broke for their situation and you were like, God, don't you care? You ever gone through enough and you felt like you couldn't take any more and you're like, what? God, don't you care? Sometimes in life, let's just be honest, it feels like Jesus is asleep on our situation. Because if he wasn't, he'd be doing something about this right now. If, if, if he wasn't asleep, he would at least be giving me some peace of mind and comfort. But I am lost out here. And you think and you assume that Jesus is sleeping. And apparently sometimes he is. Don't you care? So, so the Bible says that, you know, that, that the disciples shake him, wake him. But then Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and he speaks to the waves. I want you to just, I'm gonna, this is just a little side nugget here. Notice how he handles his problems differently than we typically handle our problems. Does that make sense? Jesus begins to speak to the wind and the waves. We, we were just flipping out and freaking out and trying everything. Well, don't you care? Shaking Jesus. What's funny is that that phrase, don't you care? The way it reads in the Greek is, is matters it not to thee we are perishing? It's like Yoda speak, isn't it? 
Mm, matters it not to be our parish? <laughs> and like, they're freaking out. That's what we do when we're afraid. Jesus gets up and begins to speak to. This is just a side nugget for some of you who know how to use the power of your words and the power of prayer. Is that other people run from their problems and are afraid other people look at their problems and begin to speak to them. It's just something, something, something I need to chew on that. So he goes, why? Jesus, this is his response. Why are you so afraid? To which we would say, duh. What do you mean, why am I afraid? Do you not see the squall that is going on around me? Have you ever gotten the phone call? Just any phone call. You ever got the phone call from the doctor? You went and got the test done. Do you remember how anxious you were while you were waiting for the test results to come back? And then you get the phone call and they tell you you got some weird disease that you never heard of before? Fear. Like, what do you do when you get that phone call? What do you do when you get the phone call that a loved one's passed on? What do you do when you get the phone call where you, you got to go pick your kids up from jail? What do, you, what do you do when you get that phone call? What do you do when you get the email that says the company's doing layoffs? What do you do then? The disciples, they're freaking out. Jesus begins to speak to the winds and the waves. But then he turns to the disciples and says, why are you so afraid? Now, I've taught you this before, but whenever God asks a question, it's not because God lacks for information, right? It's because you lack for information. And God's just trying to get you to think about what you don't know. Which begs the question like, why are you afraid? And I'll tell you why. It's because somewhere deep down, once you dig down layer after layer enough, you'll find that somewhere in there you feel out of control. And these disciples, let's be honest, they were completely out of control. So he says, why are you so afraid? And Jesus, Jesus is like, what are you so afraid of? They're like, do you not see the boats about to sink? I guess when you're God, you don't have to worry about things like us. Us mere mortals need to worry about life and breath and drowning. Why are you so afraid, though? Like, think about it. Why are you being driven by that fear? And then he follows it up with another question. He goes, do you still have no faith, which is funny because now he's gotten to the theological issue. You know that your fear is a spiritual issue. It's a faith issue. How many know, I don't know if you know this or not, but fear is a self-fulfilling prophecy. The very thing that you are so afraid of happening, fear becomes a type of focus. And when you focus on something, you lean towards something. And so the very thing that you're so afraid of happening, you've put so much thought and energy and time into that you begin to lean in that direction. And the very thing that you were afraid of happening actually begins to happen in your life because you worked it up. This is, this is a faith issue. As a matter of fact, what we discover is this, is that our fear is almost like a type of faith, isn't it? It's just a faith in all the wrong things. This is why you dream up worst case scenarios, don't you? Like the guy in the video dreams up every worst case scenario of what could be happening in his situation. You do that, don't you? Oh, my God. What's going to happen? I bet it's this. I bet it's that. I wonder if it's going to be this. I wonder if it's going to be that. And we start. Why does our mind automatically go towards the worst possible scenario? It's because fear is is like the opposite of faith, but it works the same way. It's something that produces something else in our life. Fear, in essence, is, is, is faith in the what ifs. But true faith is faith in the God is, as in the God is able. Does that make sense? And so he goes, this, this, is, a, this is a spiritual issue. This is something that you need to think about because, again, whatever you fear the most is actually where you trust God the least. 
And here you find in the midst of this, this living parable, this living story that Jesus creates. Jesus knew the weather report. He knew it was dark. He knew it was night. He decided to take a nap just to let him know that you can sleep through the storm and be at peace. You, you can. That you don't have to be absolutely fearful of everything. And here's the, here's the real lesson. Are you ready? If you miss everything else today, don't miss this part. This is the little lesson that Jesus is trying to implant into their hearts. And it's this right here. It's just because you're out of control doesn't mean that God's out of control. Because you will be out of control. I already told you control is a bit of a myth anyway, isn't it? There's very little that you have in control. But I want to tell you this. Just because you're out of control has nothing to do with whether or not God is still in control. They are two completely separate things. So that when, when you get the call from the doctor and the doctor says you've got this or you've got this amount of time or this is going on, you might feel out of control. That doesn't mean God's out of control. Your kid could be in a world of mess. That doesn't mean God's out of control. You could be, yeah, the financial, the, the layout, it, it, that might be the case. That does not mean that God is out of control. The reason why I think this is so important is because I think Jesus needs to prepare the disciples for future events. Think about these disciples just a couple of years down the road. A couple of years down the road, Jesus has died, risen from the dead, and then commissioned them to go and, and, and start a movement, a Jesus movement. And he goes, oh, and by the way, they're not going to like this movement. Not everybody's going to be happy. Not everybody's going to be on board with the Jesus wagon here. So, like, you need to be prepared. Things are going to get bad. But just because things get bad doesn't mean that God is not in control. As a matter of fact, he has a conversation with Peter. At the very end, Peter is being told that one day his, his life would be taken from him. And what Jesus is really saying is just one day, just so you know, like, you're going to have to be taken places that you don't want to go and they're going to do things to you. you don't, here, here's an essence, you're not going to be in control. If you know the story of Peter in history is that Peter was eventually taken by the Roman Empire and crucified upside down. That's what happened to him. Was Peter in control? No. This is the lesson. Peter, even when you are not in control, that does not mean that God is not in control. When you look at all the 12 disciples who are hanging out in this boat, 11 of them, I'm sorry, 10 of them died a martyr's death. Meaning 10 of them had their life taken out of control and taken from them. And he said, you guys need to be prepared that just because life doesn't work out the way you think it does, or life becomes spinning out of control, that doesn't mean that God is out of control. So the Bible says that, that after Jesus says, are you afraid? Do you still not have, the, have no faith? This is, what, this is what the disciples' reaction is. This is after the, the, the storm has been calm. This is what they say. And they were terrified. What are you afraid of now? Jesus rebuked the storm and the waves. I'll tell you what they were afraid of. They were afraid of Jesus. Wouldn't you be? Like, these guys were still wrestling with whether or not this guy was the Messiah. And even then, theologically, they weren't sure if the Messiah was just one sent from God or if he was God. They, they were still battling these issues. And so, like, they, all of a sudden, they see a guy who sleeps through the storm only to wake up and tell it to shut up and go away. And it's, oh. what would you do with that guy in your boat? You take a step back. Oh. What do we do with the guy that speaks to winds and waves and they obey him? Which is ironic because the wind and the waves obey Jesus, but we, we don't always obey Jesus. 
And so the Bible says that they were terrified. So as a matter of fact, in the Greek language, a minute ago when they were seeing the storm, they said, why are you afraid? Almost the word cowardly. But when you hear this phrase and they were terrified, it's a, it's a Greek nuance. They basically coupled the noun with the verb of the same word. And so it would read like this. And they feared a great fear. That's the way it would read in the Greek. And they feared. Who were they afraid of now? Jesus. Which is actually the most powerful place you can be in life. Because really, when you fear God more than you fear your circumstances, you will always stay with God. Does that make sense? So the very, this is why Solomon said that the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now, not this, I'm a fraidy cat scared, but a, a, a reverence and an awe where you see God and you just say, okay. Let's, let's just, okay. I should probably give honor and reverence because that is so much bigger than me. And he goes, when you have that, that's actually the beginning of all wisdom. Which really, when you think about it, if you had that, how many more better decisions would you make in life? Hey, if you had, if you had that step back reverence and awe for God, how many times would you not make the dumb decision? Because most of the dumb decisions that we make, it wasn't for lack of knowledge, was it? Have you ever done something dumb and you're like, oh, man, I knew better. <laughs> Rarely do you ever get in a situation where you do something really, really ridiculous and be like, I had no idea. I didn't know they were going to call the cops. I didn't know that was illegal. I didn't know that you knew, you, you, you knew better. No, lack of information was not your issue and knowledge was not your issue. I'll tell you what, it was fear. It was more likely that you feared one thing more than you feared another thing. And when you fear God more than you fear the circumstance of whatever it is that is in your heart, you will always stay right in line with God's true purpose for your life. So they look at him and they are terrified and they say, wow, we, we don't know what we're dealing with here. And I'm telling you, it's all to prepare you for this one reality is that your life will at times be completely out of control. But God still wants you to be cool and calm. God still wants you to be at peace, able to sleep through the night. You ever had a sleepless night? Ever wrestled through the night? Why are you so afraid? I'm not saying that you won't have fear hit your life. I'm just telling you, I don't want it to become a baggage that, that makes you go all night long unable to sleep and you wake up with it the next day and then you, you end up actually forming it into your personality and forming it into your life until you adopt it and it becomes a part of who you are. Because all fear, all fear will eventually need to some type of compromise and missed opportunity. Last scripture, we'll close with this. Psalms chapter 56, verse 1 through 4. David David says these words, and I think they're brilliant. I think they give us a good place to kind of wrap up. He's speaking to God, and he says, God, be merciful to me because my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long, they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. Now, how many know that would produce some fear? And if you don't know the story of David's life, he's talking about literal, actual events. David, for many times in his life, had multiple armies pursuing him. How many know that would, that would make you, you know... Not sleep real easy through the night. You would never be a deep sleeper knowing that armies work in constant pursuit of you. But listen to what he says. Verse number three. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I love it. And I'll tell you two things and we'll close here. The first thing he tells you is what to do when you have fear. 
He goes, when I have fear, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Which means this, there needs to be a conscious effort in your mind and in your heart to say, when I feel fear, I'm going to turn to God. And I'm not going to lead, leave being in a place with God until the fear is gone. I'm going to dig it up. I'm going to root it up. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to continue to pray about it. And I'm going to continue to walk with God towards that thing. I'm not going to let fear paralyze me or keep me from missed opportunity or keep me or keep me in a place of calm. I'm not going to allow that to happen. I'm going to turn towards God and keep walking with God. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. But the second thing that he does is this. He keys in on your perspective. Because he asked the question, he goes, what can mere mortals do to me? This is kind of a Braveheart moment, isn't it? This is kind of like, what can mere mortals do to me? You know, well, they can do a lot, you know. They can kill you. They can torture you. They can hurt you. They can, they can imprison you. They, they can do a lot to you, David. But what David's keying in on is this perspective, and it's what we would call an eternal perspective. And all I simply mean is this. Okay, in light of eternity, even if it doesn't turn out the way that you want it to turn out, God is still in control. When you hold eternity in your hand, you always win. God, even, even in the short term, if you feel like you've lost, I promise you, God never loses. When you hold eternity in your hands, you always get to win. But we don't ever think of it in those terms. We think of it in the here and the now. Did Peter really feel like a winner when he was hung up on a cross upside down? No. What can mere mortals do to me? They can crucify me upside down, God. But he had already learned this lesson. Just because I'm out of control does not mean that God is out of control. God is always in control of your circumstances. And what I want you to do is I want you to hopefully leave some baggage behind today. Some of you have been battling some of those deep-rooted fears, that fear of intimacy, that fear of rejection, that fear of failure. I'm telling you, if you walk out of these doors and you continue to carry that baggage, you're going to end up with compromise and missed opportunities. But if today you would begin to learn that when God is in control, I'm going to be fine. One way or the other, it's going to be okay. And if I will just put my trust in him and begin to walk with him regardless of how I feel, I'll always experience God's best for my life. Let's pray this morning. As, as we pray this morning, I, I want you to ask yourself that question. Why are you so afraid? Today, as we were talking, something came to your mind. Today, as we were chatting, something came up. You knew what it was. You knew what we were talking about today. You, the Holy Spirit reminded you, brought it to your attention. Why are you so afraid? Is it that you're lacking faith? Because that might just be the one area where you trust God the least. And trusting God is the very thing that you need to do today. You need to do what David said. God, when I fear, because it's going to happen. When I fear. I'm going to turn and put my trust in you. And then I will be afraid no more. What are you afraid of? What do you need to give God today? What are you so afraid of? And do you really want to let that paralyze you for the rest of your life? Do you really want to let that limit you and keep you back? You're going to keep compromising. You're going to make yourself miserable. You're going to keep missing out. You're going to be an unhappy person. You're going to keep letting fear do that to you. You will never see all that God has in store for you. I want you to be free today. And so does Jesus. And Jesus is here to remind you, hey, hey I know life will be out of control sometimes. That, that's going to happen. But I'm not. 
losing control. I'm always in control. And I hold eternity in my hands. I promise I've got your back. And no matter how it works out in the short run, you just know that God's going to take care of it all in the long run. I promise you can trust him. I can promise that he's good. I can promise that he's kind. I can promise you that he's faithful. I know it. So, Father, today, God, we come to you, like David said, and we want to put our trust in you, God. Whatever it is, the area of our life that we fear the most, God, I pray that we give it to you today, God. Maybe we need to confess it. Maybe we need to say it out loud with our own ears. But, God, we need to, we need to own it, admit to it, and then give it to you. God, we want to be free today. As a matter of fact, with every head bowed and eye closed, I just, let's just have a moment here. If you said, Todd, that was me today that you were talking to. I know I've been paralyzed by fear. I've been compromising because I've been held back because of fear. I want you to slip your hand up in the air right now. Just say, that was me today. I've got some areas where I've been afraid. I haven't been stepping out. I haven't been confident in God. I haven't been trusting. Yeah, yeah, just as a sign, just put your hand up and say, God, that's me this morning. Please help me. God, please, in my heart, I want to turn to you. I want to trust in you, God. I want you to know you can trust him. He is trustworthy. I promise he loves you. I promise he's got your back. I don't know how it'll turn out. I don't know how the details in the short run will work out, but I do know that God holds eternity in his hands and that he loves you and that he's for you. And so, God, we pray that you would come into our heart, that, God, you would be our comfort, that, Jesus, you would be our Prince of Peace. God, I pray that you would comfort the fears, Lord God. Help us to let go of that baggage today. Father, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Oh, come on. You can do, you can do bigger than that.